Are these microphones working? Sounds like they are. Are the like mics are. working yet? This is so cool. We have these mics that fit over the tops of our heads like NFL announcers. <laughs> if so some of you who are way out there, would you like to come closer and join us? Of course, you're welcome to stay where you are, too. You can choose. <laughs> this is really a big building, isn't it? This is like being in Costco. <laughs> <laughs> so I, but it's the NFL thing. I'm gonna, it'll take me a minute to get over that. What I want to say to Sister Afen is, back to you, Bob. <laughs> now, if they could just do a little better on the offense and maybe watch the defense a little, we might get someplace. But, so you want to hear Bob's response? I just want to say one introductory thing. We do have uh, a couple of questions that have been given to us, and we hope that will prime the pump for you to go to the mic yeah, and ask some questions from them. I yeah, mean, they're questions, questions from, from students you. So here you at, at school. Either, either your teachers or to someone else at the school who've provided us with a few to to kind of get going. But the hope is this will get your juices flowing, and you will ask us what is whatever is on your mind. You can go to the mic and do that. Uh, but I wanted to share this little introductory story that I've been thinking about, thinking about this question and answer session. Uh, a few years ago, our daughter, who happens to be here today, I don't know, how old were you, Sarah? Maybe nine, ten? She said to us, when we get to heaven, do we get to ask Heavenly Father anything we want? And I said, I sure hope so. I've got a few things I'd like to ask. And she said, good, that's what I thought. I didn't think we'd just walk up and say, Heavenly Father, can I have your autograph? <laughs> <laughs> I like that girl's attitude. And we pray to have the same one. Uh, should we start with one of the questions? Let's let's do that, but be ready to to, to give us some. Uh, this, how about if I I'll, I'll ask the question? I'll just read it the way it was given to us, and then maybe I'll invite Sister Hafen to start, and we'll kind of talk together. The question is from one of you: How can you move forward with faith when your experiences in the past have hurt or damaged your spirit? Okay, that's a really good question, because we've talked, for example, with return missionaries whose missions were not the best or whose mission presidents were extremely difficult, um, or a companion, or more than one companion. Um, and maybe just a, a quick story in that regard, because uh, one of our kids was in that situation. When he came home from his mission, um, we could remember that we had re had received a letter from him where he said, I can remember when I was just out in the um, parking lot and I was crying. It was so hard. I was so frustrated. And I had had a pen in my pocket and I pulled out a Kleenex or something and you know, I was wiping my eyes and I realized I was putting blue all over my face. Then he said, I just started to laugh. But he said it, it helped me later when I was back from my mission, I was in school, I was, and, it, and even later when I was out of school, I was in the real world, in the business world. And it helped me 
that I had had those experiences that had been difficult with my mission president because it helped me learn how to deal with people in an effective, ongoing way that uh, moved us forward instead of halting our relationship or keeping us from being able to move our business forward. So he said, I turned out to be grateful for the difficulties that I had had. Um, so what does that say? If we're in the middle of the difficulty, that we can choose to say this difficulty can be a help to me later if I can deal with it now in a constructive, good way. Um, let me tell you a little story which goes along with this. What if, what if you're having an experience in your life that is really difficult? How do you keep going? Um, let me tell you about a friend of ours who's quite a bit younger who has promised in her patriarchal blessing she would have a husband and a family and it went on from there about how she would teach her children and things about her husband. Well, she turned 50 last year. It's not likely in this life that she's going to have children. But she still had some confidence in her blessing. She knows that it's not just for this life might be the millennium, might be after this life, but does that help on the lonely nights when she's in the middle of the loneliness? And then about, oh, eight or ten weeks ago, after some months of off and on abdominal pain and nausea, uh, she had family background with that. But finally she thought, well, I better, I better see what's going on. So she went to the doctor, they had her do a CAT scan, and that showed not only did she have a gigantic cyst on one of her ovaries, but they also found a mass in her colon. So about eight weeks ago, she had emergency surgery where they removed this cyst, which had ruptured, and this mass in her colon, which turned out to be colon cancer. Uh, well, there goes one possibility. She's on the verge of not having any possibility of having children by age. Uh, and, and a few weeks later, she was feeling really good, recovering energy. And then about two and a half weeks ago, the same kinds of symptoms started to show up. The nausea, the vomiting, not being able to hold anything down. Back to the doctor, back to the ER. They ended up doing a second surgery, which was similar to the first in that there was a mass growing on her ovary, a cyst, but also colon cancer cells in that ovary. That's what came back in the pathology. Remove that ovary, remove the cyst, of course. So you say, okay, now, now what? There's no way human, while well, I'm a human, that I'm going to have children. So where does that leave me? Um, let me just tell you that because of those complexities through her life, even though been, they have been extremely difficult, uh, I have watched her, because we've known her for 25 or 30 years, watched her testimony deepen and strengthen and become broader, uh, more searching. When you hear her pray, you know that she is really praying to someone. It's not just an exercise. Marie, could I just
just add a footnote to what Sister Hafen is saying. She started off by telling you about our friend and about her patriarchal blessing. What I would like to add, and I'd invite her to say more if she wants to, this friend had some adverse childhood experiences, really, really hard ones, very traumatic ones. And it was not until she was in her early 20s that she began to realize some of the effects of that childhood trauma. And we know in today's world more than we used to know about the effects of different kinds of abuse. And they can be lifelong, and they have been for her. So in addition to the promise about her patriarchal blessing, she started off with these deficits. So we thought of her when we read this question. How can you move forward with faith when your experiences in the past have hurt or damaged your spirit? Her spirit was damaged. And by yet, s- yeah, by somebody else's choice. It's brought, not and, yet, hers. and yet, what kind of relationship with the Lord has she developed? I think that's what you were talking about. I just wanted to add that as a pr- yes. premise. And just, just because she chose to move ahead, she chose to keep that relationship. And as we mentioned, Holly, the closeness that she developed to the Lord, her relationship with Him, that that relationship means more to her than anything in her life. Yeah, I would ju- that reminds me of the wonderful line about the the survivors of the Martin and Willie Handcarp tragedy. One of them said, "We came to know God in our extremities, and the price we paid to know him was a privilege to pay. They came to know God in their extremities. That's what happened to our friend during all of these years dealing with that childhood adversity." The extremities lasted and lasted, and she came to know God so well that we have watched the depth of her spiritual strength that she has had to cope now with what she's dealing with. And I I would say that in her case, the damage to her spirit turned out to be a great source of strength to her. Because she chose. Because she chose to let it, and she pursued a relationship with him that is unusually deep. Maybe we would ask you, when does, your most, when does the most of your growth happen? Does it happen in your sunlit days or in your days where there are clouds and sometimes it's dark? Does one of you have a question? We, we've got a few more, but we want to give you a chance. Uh, I think many of us probably have uh, friends or loved ones who seem to be kind of stuck in level two um, as far as their faith, stuck in pessimism. And, um, and uh, while we, we can't um, force them or take away their agency, do you have any principles maybe that we could apply to, to encourage or help them to move uh, towards uh, a level three um, faith. Thank you. That's a, it's a, the question is central to what we're talking about today. And I'll just, just offer a response and invite Sister Hafen to, to follow. Uh, you know, we, the reason we wrote the book is to try to answer that question. I don't know if you, those of you who've seen the book may know that we didn't try. At one point, we were thinking of doing something like this, of trying to address a lot of specific questions that people seem to have difficulty with. But over time, we consciously felt to move back from that approach. What we're offering in Faith is Not Blind is a perspective, 
a perspective on life. I mean, it's that broad, and and it's it's grounded in uh, in the gospel. That's we've we've mentioned the Adam and Eve story there at the end of the forum. What we're talking about is uh, is central to what we're taught about coming to the earth. You over you face opposition and you overcome it. And what seems to happen nowadays, for some reason, and some of it is affected by the the current culture we live in. People are in the midst of the opposition, the experience that could be a source of, of refining, deepening, strengthening, but it's the source that kind of levels them. And all we're saying with the book and all I would say in this response is, hang in there, don't quit and give up, but go on to the simplicity beyond. There's a way to do that. What's happened to you is not a mortal wound. So it's um, it's perspective on on the experience, I, that, no, I, that must sound really kind of simple. Well, I, I actually think process. it is. It is that simple. Yeah. yeah, the process is a complete one. When you know, that, see, we live in a world. One of the lines from our talk, I guess, was we, the, we are surrounded by these uh, these skeptics, sort of skeptics, who love to burst the bubbles of people in stage one and, and kind of convince them that life in stage two is more honest, it's more real, this is it, you're there. But, but what they don't add to that is that so many of the people who get in those stages, even to the point of leaving the church, are not going to anything. That's striking to me about what so many people experience. In an earlier time in, in, our, in the church, even as early as 10 years ago, uh, it was not completely out of the question for members of our church to to read about other religions, study them, listen to the differences of theological opinion, and join another church. They were going to something, but so many of those who leave now are not going to anything. And I, we have known some of them. It's sad, it's, and they they've. That is one of the reasons I think some of those who g- kind of give up on Joseph Smith and the church before long say they're not so sure about God. Well, how did something that big happen? It's a kind of a backhanded compliment to the restoration to say, I can't find anything better. But as one of our grandchildren said, we were talking about this very point, and he said, uh, you know, it's pretty hard to define the cosmos in terms of what it isn't. <laughs> So, so I would, that, it's, it's perspective. Right? And maybe a comment about your question. What if you've got somebody that you love who is uh, finding difficulty with a particular question that they have a lot of sympathy for? Uh, we sat at, at our dining room table with some of our grandchildren and a friend or two of theirs, and one of them said how hard it had been to hear the church's stand on the LGBT issues because she had some close friends who were. And she said, when I heard that, I cried for three days. I felt so horrible. So sometimes um, I think we need to give, and that's not easy for me, to realize how deeply felt some of these issues are. But just for something uh, perhaps a little more practical, because we have an extended family member who is in exactly the situation you mentioned, where his wife is trying to understand, well, what happened here? Because all of a sudden, he's saying, I'm not sure, I believe, I'm not going to go on with my temple covenants, taking his garments off. And she had some counsel 
and maybe this might be helpful. The counselor said, first, you need to empathize with him or with her. Empathize where, with where they are. And that's something I'm working on. How do you feel with them so that you can say to them something that they know that you really feel about what they're saying, what they're expressing? And then you start to find out, well, there's some reasons why they are having some of the issues that they are now. Let's, let's empathize. Let's get to some base. And that's what the counsel was for him. Let's just take away everything that you thought maybe you believed. Let's start at the foundation with what you know. And then let's build on that. Because he'd grown up in a house. It's a little bit like Holly's, where it was kind of autopilot. This is what you do. The appearance is important. Uh, his parents were kind of forcing him to go to church, uh, to go on a mission. And he said, I didn't really know why I was on my mission till about six months into my mission, and then I started to get a feel for it. But he got into a social environment at his work where some of his cohorts, his colleagues, were starting to give him anti-Mormon anti ideas. And he had, not just, he had not had foundation for them at home. He hadn't talked about them like we did in our religion class. He didn't have the basis for understanding that there were answers to Joseph Smith and polygamy. There were answers to how Joseph Smith got Abraham. There were answers to other things that uh, were, became for him a problem. Not so much that he couldn't understand the answers, but he felt, again, betrayed. Why didn't they tell me? Um, why can't I choose you know, for myself? That was part of his issue. So her first invitation was empathize with him, truly empathize with him. And then you'll get to the stage step by step where he can listen more to what your point of view is and he can start again as he's building his foundation on what he knows step by step to come back. Um, do we talk about Korahor now? <laughs> <laughs> no, that, just to, one, one comment on what Maria has just said. Uh, I had a couple of people ask us. My sister asked us this after she, we, we'd been talking about this subject and she, she read Faith is Not Blind. And she, she's lived in the eastern U.S. all of her life. She's been very active in the church. Her whole family has. And she has friends uh, of, of many uh, ranging across a whole spectrum of attitudes about the church. Her question was, I've got some friends who have left the church in recent years, and I have lots of other friends who've actually been strengthened by the very things that the other people left over. How do you explain that? How can two people who seem to have similar backgrounds learn the same information or see the same kinds of things that they really hadn't quite understood before? Some are strengthened or some are shattered. What's going on here? I like that because it it reinforces for me the idea there's not something objectively wrong here that everybody can see. What's going on is that some people are are uh, they feel betrayed because they didn't know, and yet I mean, one of the people we know who who said I was betrayed, I didn't know. His twin brother is a good friend of ours who said, what do you mean you didn't know? I was your twin brother. We went on our missions at the same time. None of that was a surprise to me. Well, he's very strong, and his brother is struggling. Uh, and one, one friend who has worked with this subject and has tried to help some people pointed out to us that... Uh, Often, there's something different in the background of the individual, and so those who are trying to help, uh, 
if they will be empathetic and not dismissive, if they will take the concern seriously and listen, um, then uh, gradually over time, uh, something may surface about what was it, what earlier wound was it that was kind of uh, stirred again by this discovery. There was something. And now we're, we don't mean to say that, that it's automatic. It isn't, there aren't little formulas, but it, it is helpful to know that people are different and it's their own reaction that's different. It's not the information itself. Uh, th there's another question here that, that it may be uh, kind of basic that one of you put on this list. Um, where would you advise someone without a testimony to start? I'll, I'll offer a comment on that and invite Marie to join in because it's a, it's, a, it's a story. Uh, we were visiting a mission during our general authority days assigned to tour a mission, go to zone conferences and see how's the mission doing. And uh, one of the adventures on this particular tour, it was in the U.S. somewhere, uh, the mission president told us in the morning at the zone conference, he said, I've got a real problem. One of my missionaries has disappeared and uh, nobody knows where he is. And so he was quite preoccupied during the day. You, you don't want any missionary to disappear. He had taken off. No explanation. Nobody saw it coming. His companion was surprised. Well, by the end of the day, the mission president was on the phone with this young man's parents, and the parents were talking to the missionary who was in the airport in the city where we were located. In fact, we were five minutes from that airport when the president was talking to the parents. So we walked, the president, mission president and I walked into the airport Well, this missionary, the one who was running home, he, he, he was done. He was on the payphone talking to his parents when we walked in. And he he cried and told his president how sorry he was. And we spent the rest of that evening talking, trying to understand what it was. And I'll, I'll always remember what he said. He said, I know that a testimony is just a feeling and I have prayed about the Book of Mormon. I've read it, I've prayed, and I know I'm supposed to get a feeling, and that's what a testimony is. And I've prayed, and I don't get any, I don't get that feeling, so I guess it's not true, and I can't testify about that, and I'm going home. And I thought to myself, where did you get the idea that a testimony is nothing but a feeling? I mean, feeling, I know the importance of the witness of the Spirit. I've felt it, I know it, I've testified about it, but it's a confirmation of other things. It is not some independent emotion that sort of comes out of a, uh, uh, that comes out of some independent wellspring in the sky that's not connected with your head and what you can see. So I would just offer as a response to this, to the question, and I don't know if anybody wants to pursue this, but my experience is that there are three elements in the development of a testimony. And I would call the first one reason and common sense. I think there is a huge place for reason and common sense and rationality. Uh, I'm struck by the word in, the, I was reading in the Book of Mormon and Alma the other day, it was saying that the Lamanites were converted because of the greatness of the evidences. Let's not dismiss evidences. There are all kinds of things you can do. You read, read Elder Todd Collister's book about the Book of Mormon. The case for the Book of Mormon in terms of just evidence is really, really strong. 
and that's not just a feeling. You're using your head. You know, you look at the history of religions. Look at the history of Christianity. Look at the characteristic of Christ's church. There are many indicators of that, uh, that that play into this. Another one that is, for me, rational evidence. I, I love Alma 32. We can talk about that if you want to. But as you go through to the end of Alma 32, he talks about the fruits you plant the seed, the tree grows, and then you taste the fruit, which is whiter than all that is white, more pure than all that is pure. That's the stage we're in now. And I see the fruits of the gospel in the lives of our children and our grandchildren. I see the kind of people they are. There's a similarity there. There's a, it, it's like a recipe. If it says, if you follow these steps, this is what it will look like. And I, it, it bowls me over. I'd, I'd put every one of those 46 grandkids on the seat as witnesses, not because they're going to repeat things like little parrots. They are all variations, very distinct, individual, wonderful, free variations on some very basic themes that they were taught by their their parents. No, we've, we've, you know, we've got our issues. Not everybody's perfect. All I'm saying is the fruits of the gospel are evidence. You don't, it's not just a good feeling. Now, however, in addition to rationality and all the other things about that, we, there's so much more that we could say. Uh, feeling, it really is important when it comes as a witness. It's usually a confirmation of other things that we've seen. Uh, but then finally, I would add another quality because feeling isn't enough, reason alone isn't enough, even those two aren't enough, uh, there's another dimension, and that's ex- simply experience. And I so guess that's what I'm referring to. it's kind of refer- like love? Is that what yeah, you're yeah. that faith is like love? Faith is like love. Now we're talking your language. Imagine, imagine a young man coming home from his mission, and his name is Reginald Montgomery, and that stands, of course, for returned missionary. <laughs> Reg is on his way back to Rexburg. Had a couple of years here before, and now he's coming. And on the way home, his president said, Reg, you need to find a wife and get married. So he makes a list of all the qualities he wants to in a wife, and he comes home. He surveys the campus. He dates a lot of young women. And he finds somebody who's got everything on the list. And his roommate said, well, then what are you waiting for? Pop the question. And he says, well, there's just one problem. I can't stand her. Oh, well, you must not have had that on your list. And then the companion says, Reg, let me tell you about the spark. The spark? What is this spark of which you speak? <laughs> so, so he tells him, <laughs> it, it's feeling, it's romance. <laughs> That's, so once you add that, then what? Oh, then he comes back to his companion once he, he discovers the spark. Okay, okay, now what? And his, his roommate says, okay, Reg, now we want to talk about the test of time. How does this relationship survive when it's under stress, under pressure, when people are sick, when they're not at their best? I really think that, think about that for a minute, our dear young friends and brothers and sisters. Knowing the gospel is true really is a lot like, how do I know I'm in love? And then the same three elements apply, reason, feeling, and experience. I don't know if that helps, but I hope so. That's kind of how it was for us. Okay, so we got another question from you out there, either of the microphones. Um, hi. <laughs> Tell so, us your name. My name is Emma. Hi, hi. Emma. Um, an issue that I think 
I've even been guilty of is just sort of passive reception of topics in the gospel, which would fall under the first category. But as I've been trying to really know, it's like I'm reading these credible and non-credible sources and nothing is adding up. Is there any kind of insight you guys could give about how to kind of get from below stage one where you can't even <laughs> fake testify <laughs> to stage, stage three when you are really firm and steadfast? Okay, you said passive reception. Come back a minute, Emma. Hi. What did you mean? So like when the missionaries tell you, hi, um, we know that God is our loving heavenly father. Do you believe that? Oh yeah, of course, because all these people around me are saying it. Okay. It's like a social thing. Okay. But then you're saying that you started to wonder at a deeper mm -hmm. level. Yeah, because eventually you do need to know for yourself. Okay. And you're, are you talking about the primary issues, like mm -hmm. knowing that God exists, knowing that he's a loving father? A little bit beyond, like farther than that, like restoration topics. Okay. So maybe uh, what Elder Larry Corbridge, he distinguished between the primary doctrinal subjects like God mm -hmm. and Christ and Joseph Smith and the restoration and we have prophets compared to some of the issues we could call them the social issues or the church history yeah, issues. I, I Am I understanding really, you right? Yeah, so it's not so much like the social things, church history. It's kind of just once you get beyond like the Savior and you get into like prophets and the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants. Okay, so the, your question then is how do you deepen mm -hmm. your testimony of those things? Like how do you get from point one okay, from to point two. Okay, or on to Stage point three one. in yeah. those things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm actually quite glad to be able to answer that question because that's me. That was me at 19. Um, I really sensed that there, w that there was a God. I, I didn't know much more than that. And I said, as I mentioned in, my t in the talk, I believed the gospel was true, but I didn't see how people could say they knew it was true. That was really very hard for me. And so I went on a mission believing that it was true, but praying that the Lord would help me. And what I think of, and uh, uh, trying to respond to your very honest question, and thank you for sharing it. Uh, Alma chapter 32 became a lifeline for me my suggestion to you would be that you get into that chapter and come to know Alma as your mentor. He was mine. I can hardly wait to meet him. I want to thank him. Because early on, he says, when he's talking about the experiment with the seed, he says, so it is with my words. Ye cannot know of a surety of the truth of my words. But if ye can do no more than desire to believe, let this desire work in you until you can give place in your heart for my words. So you're, it's a conscious choice to open your heart. You're not declaring anything you don't know. You're not even declaring anything you don't believe. But it's, he said, if you desire to believe, let this desire work in your hearts. And it's, then it's an organic process. And, and I went through it. You, I planted the seed, I believed it, I tried, and gradually over time, little things began to happen. Like, I, I could trace, Alma talks about the, you, the seed sprouts. 
it begins to grow. You can taste it. It's but you're not there. You know you could you you could say that's not a tree. That's not anything all that great. And it's uh, it is a process. It's step by step. And I guess I would particularly. And this may seem kind of trite to you. I don't know. You know, I've been skeptical enough about enough things all my life that I, I wish you could know me. So you know, when I say I'd start with Alma, and I'd get into the Book of Mormon, because it was in the process of trying to discover and find about the truth of the is the Book of Mormon true. That's kind of a key question for you. Because if that's true, then that moves you, you know, Christ is in that book. But the book is, the Lord gave us the book as a witness of Joseph and the restoration. And I still remember very vividly the night on my mission with all my skepticism, with all that I didn't know. Reading in uh, Moroni 10, where Moroni says, one day you will meet me at the pleasing bar of Christ. And the Lord will say, did I not speak? He will say, did I not speak to you? And as I read that verse, I simply knew that sometime I would see Moroni and that I would remember that I'd read it. I don't know how to explain that. You know, here I am, the super rational law professor, and I know about evidence, and I know about feeling. I can't tell you exactly what that was. Was it a burning? Was it, was it peace? I don't know what it was, but I knew I would see him. And it was kind of specific. And so that was one little thing. Another one is what I mentioned in, the, uh, in, the, in our talk. I don't know if you would have caught that. Can you imagine how I felt sitting there in that living room with those dear people, Paul and Wendy Knaup, our golden investigators who had just told us they were done because nobody told them about the priesthood problem, priesthood and race? I didn't have an answer for that. I really didn't. And I'd never heard anybody talk about it. And I'm sitting there, and I'm supposed to answer, and I just all I could think of was, duh. And suddenly, suddenly... Let's read Acts 10. It was almost as if I was hearing myself. What do you mean Acts 10? What's in Acts 10? We read the story of Peter. And and as we were reading it, I thought, oh my goodness. This shows that God did not give the gospel to the Gentiles prior to the time of Peter. Wow. I mean, I was discovering it at the very time I was teaching it. Well, what do you call that? I don't know what you call it. I call it evidence. And all I can say is it happened. And so uh, it's a process. It grows. It's organic. And bless you for caring enough to ask. And you can pray to be blessed with a desire to believe. Uh, There are other scriptures about that, by the way. In D&C 46, the spiritual gifts. um, They're given to those... There's a place about those who desire to believe, to him that who seeketh, who, to those who keep my commandments and those who seeketh so to do. And the verse about knowing that Jesus is the Christ, the very next verse says, to some it is given to know that Jesus is the Christ by the Holy Ghost. And the next verse says, and to others it is given to know, to believe on their words that they too might have eternal life if they continue faithful. So don't knock believing. <laughs> it's, it's a step. It gets there. Do you have a tissue in your pocket? 
you have anything you'd like to add or subtract? Um, well, I was just thinking when you mentioned Alma 32, if you look at uh, Alma 33 and Alma 34, you find out what the words are that you're believing in. And I, I would have to open the book to find it, but it t- start to s- starts to talk about Alma seeing this virgin in Nazareth and the birth of Christ and this tree that grows. Maybe you can help me with the specifics, but it's it's the end of this whole Alma oh, 32. Okay. I, yeah, we, what Marie's talking about is that we kind of discovered this. The Your Religious Problems class we talked about, it's been going on <laughs> constantly since we first met, and I, I love it. I hope I, 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 it never will end, actually. That's kind of a nice thought. Uh, but we discovered, years after loving Alma 32, we discovered, if you read in Alma 33, Alma explains, talking about, he starts to talk about Christ, and I won't try to paraphrase it, but, but I can remember kind of the idea. Toward the end of chapter 33, he says, cast your mind on this thought, that is references to Christ, let this tree grow in you, let this word grow in you until it becomes a tree springing up unto everlasting life. It's Christ. That's what the seed is about. It's not, a, it's not just faith in general. It's, a, it's faith in Jesus Christ. It's the first principle of the gospel, said Joseph Smith in the fourth article of faith. And so then Alma says, and maybe this is what you're getting to, Marie, in that last couple, the very last verse of Alma 33, Read it with 32, and it says, Let that it be, is a tree springing up in you unto everlasting life. And he talks about that your burdens may be light through the joy of his son. Can you believe that we were we've been married 20 years, loving the scriptures, talking about these things, before we ever saw that? It's part of what's so fun about the organic nature of the growth of a testimony, the growth of understanding the scriptures. It's not like either you do or you don't. Maybe I can add a, just a little postscript to that example that I shared earlier about our extended uh, young father and, and young mother where the young father is having challenges uh, because it's very interesting to look at what's happening, happening to this young woman along the way because she is hoping to defend the faith, but yet she has to be very careful because if she extends a, uh, you know, this is what I think, then he, he, he'll just say, no, that, you know, I just can't, I can't do that. But her faith has deepened as she has tried to be a support to him in his process. Uh, she just gave, has given me little examples of where she has known that the Spirit has given her a particular thing to say or she even knew she heard uh, uh, the idea that six months and she started to think about what does that mean well you know this may mean this trial is going to last six months but she knows when she has followed those little nudgings she said I have come to understand what the spirit feels like and how it's talking to me another evidence that has strengthened her faith even though her husband's faith now is is still in the very basic rebuilding stages, but the patience she is also learning. She is finding a lot of evidence for what she believed on a level which is now much deeper because of the challenges that she's facing. One other question that's here. I think we're going to need to quit in just a minute. As soon as Trish tells us, you're done. Uh, one of you asked this. 
Can knowing, it's a great question, can knowing and believing be intertwined, helping to strengthen each other? Alma 32 is a wonderful uh, illustration of how believing and knowing strengthen each other because he even goes so far as to say, now you know that it is a good seed, but do you know everything else? No, but your faith is stronger. So uh, a teacher I had years ago sort of showed this arrow it starts in the middle and it, it winds out in a kind of helix fashion you go out this far to this point you know this step and that gives you the strength to believe what you need to to take the next step you take that step you follow it and then when you get to that step you've expanded your understanding you know more but you still don't know all that you wanted to still frustrated so it b- b- believing and uh knowing do interact they sort of set each other up for yeah. an additional step yes. and it's all a process of growth because uh, if you know there's not faith involved yeah yeah you can't develop your faith unless you can say i believe that but i don't know that yet i'm going to choose to follow that until so the choice to keep doing it is really important maybe i can i just i, I guess i have 30 seconds just if any of you have looked at, at faith is not blind i hope you'll look at if you haven't gotten this far, there's a chapter on choosing to believe. Some people don't realize how important it is that you choose to believe. Oh, oh, this is autobiographical. Ah, this, I'll, this is my concluding story. This is as recent as this week. Last week, I had a colonoscopy. That you're going to they get don't those. know what that is. Even they're too young. It's it's it's, <laughs> it's a really fun <laughs> test to to see if you have colon cancer. And it used to be they said get them when you're 50. Now they're saying 45. And and anyway, so I've had them before. I had one five years ago, and I started thinking when our friend got colon cancer. Ooh, I think I better get another one of those tests. Uh, and I called the the same doctor's office that had given me the test before, and they said, your five years aren't up until August. Call back in August. The because insurance company the won't insurance, cover it. Yeah. Until it's exactly five years. Oh, okay. But I had said to, to my doctor, our primary care physician, who's also our son, I said, I think I need a colonoscopy test. And the, they're saying I have to wait until five years. So, And he said, I've got somebody else. I'll talk to them. So this other office called, and they said, We'll give you a call. I said, I'm not trying to demand one. I don't know that I need one. It's all set up. The insurance will cover it. Just come on in here. So I went in last week, short of the five years that the other office said I needed. Uh, The report from the colonoscopy was, highest praise for your colon. Can't imagine anything better for a doctor to say. He said, it's unremarkable. That's the kind of colon you want to have. (laughs) No polyps, no cancer, gorgeous. However, there's a problem with your appendix. I didn't remember I even had an appendix. (laughs) Well, to shorten the story. So there's something wrong with your appendix. Uh, We'll scan. So they gave me a scan. This was last, was it Friday that I had the scan? The scan, the the doctor said to the surgeon, we need to get that out. I said, what do you mean? We're going to Rexburg next week. (laughs) I can't have my appendix out now. You need to have it out now, on Monday, and you'll go to your meetings in Rexburg. 
you need to do this because if you're the surgeon, I said to the surgeon, what if I don't do it now? And he said, if you don't and your appendix bursts, it will be really bad. <laughs> and when a doctor talks that way, even my unscientific mind can understand it. I had my appendix out on Monday. Do you think I wanted to do that knowing I was going to come up here and face you? <laughs> He said, you better go to Rexburg without your appendix. This morning, the doctor sent me the lab report. You had acute appendicitis. I choose to believe, brothers and sisters, that I was prompted by the Spirit to have an early colonoscopy and an early (laughs) appendectomy. And I know I can't prove that the Spirit did that, but I choose to believe for reasons I won't take time to go into. Many circumstances are like that. I'm not saying believe every strange thing that comes along and everything you want to believe. All I can tell you is that in many cases, it is our choice to believe that the Lord is in our lives or not. And often we won't see that he's there until we choose to believe it, live accordingly, and then look back and say, oh my goodness, he was there all along. May you have a believing heart. It's wonderful to be with you. The Lord bless you all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. I think we're done. Trish?